I love to win, but I really love to help other people. Welcome back to Don't Take My Word For It. Today we have on Mr. Tony Tull. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, tell us about yourself. Well, I don't, I don't know. There's much to know beyond <laughs> what will come out in, in conversation, but um, 24 year old from here in, in southern Missouri, uh, born and bred here in the state, and um, started a landscaping company when I was young, built it up, sold that, did some contracting for a while, and then kind of took a break from all that. Sold most of what I had, invested some money, and just headed west, started traveling and adventuring, and, and that brings us kind of back around to, to right now. So that's yeah. very fast. How long were you in business? Um, it would have been right about nine years. Nine years, really? Yep. Started just, in 2011 and incorporated in 2015. How old are you in 2011? I would have was 12. <laughs> Is that legal? <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't have an LLC yet. But you can, well, actually, how it began was getting around child labor laws. And so I had a friend that had a landscaping company, and he wanted me to come do trimming and edging for him. And we started looking into the child labor laws, and I couldn't at age 12. Mm. But there was a discrepancy in the laws where if I had basically my own equipment and tools and was doing it on my own schedule, there was, there was no parameters from the child labor laws around it. So I was like, Okay, so I cleaned out a garage for a neighbor, and in trade, he gave me a broken mower. I fixed that, started mowing lawns, and it all just started to sort of tumbleweed from there. It got bigger and bigger, and so it was actually kick-started by getting around child labor because <laughs> I couldn't work for somebody so, else. I guess I've never thought of that. Do you, you don't have to be a certain age to have an LLC, do you? I, th I think I mean, not that it... Not, I don't know. In Missouri, that. they don't actually ask. So when you form an LLC, it's not required to tell who the owners of the LLC are. Right. You have to have like a piece of paper internally that says who the owners are, but the state doesn't actually know. And that's part of the liability yeah, the thing. operating agreement? They, yeah, they separate it from yep. the owners so it's its own entity. And that's the whole point of the, the development of the LLC is it's protection against yourself. Yeah. Ironically, you can do that when you're 14. Yeah. <laughs> so you're protecting yourself as a 14-year-old. Even though you know you're not even you, can you be sued as a 14 year old? They can sue your company. Yeah, they can't do anything to you. That's true. So it's, it's maybe that's a, a good pretty thing. good advice for high school kids. Actually, <laughs> now we're going to start. If you a can't work anywhere, recruiting kids who are too young to work, so that <laughs> they they're not legally that, that liable. Illegal. <laughs> don't Develop some young remember, subcontractors. Yeah, don't take our word for it. <laughs> yeah. So basically, what we just we do this podcast. We try to get people on here that have had success or live a good life, and I. Asked you because not many people in their 20s can, you said you've almost been to 50 states now, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's a pretty good life accomplishment, I think, that you just took off and went and did that. So yeah. at what point were you like, I'm going to sell this business and then I'm just going to go see the world? Well, I think as a lot of things in life, it, it sort of develops over time. And, um, you know, when you're really young, you've got tons of energy, but I was all done, you know? So it's a mistake after mistake after mistake not understanding cash flow, um, you know, not understanding profitability mm -hmm. and, and how to do the math behind your business of knowing whether you're making money or not. And so just some rough years in, in business with just failing equipment or trucks dying or what, you know, I remember one, one, one month period, I had a truck engine go, a truck transmission go, one mower burned to the ground and another mower that had a motor blow up <laughs> in one month. I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is a kick to the stomach, right? Yeah. And so bankrupt you. Yeah, it'll it'll run you. It just runs you empty. And so I able to kind of come back from a couple different scenarios like that, and then um, had some hardship with my dad in my teen years. That was sort of coming from when I was a kid, and, and we've since worked all that out. But that put some strain on our relationship. 
so I moved out when I was 18, bought a place, and then that was putting a much bigger demand on cash flow. Yeah, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah, just a couple of really difficult years in terms of, you know, cash flow. And, and then I really scaled my company in terms of what we were doing in gross numbers and employees, but I knew nothing about business in mm-hmm. reality. And so I was losing money faster than I was making it. didn't even realize it. Yep. So um, one of the big things I've come to believe in now is mentorship. And so I, I finally found some really good business mentors, not just people who knew how to stripe grass or run a mower, but people who understood the dollars mm-hmm. and how to, how to do the internal math to know whether or not you're profitable and realize that I was not profitable. And I, I knew I'm like, man, I'm losing money, but I don't even know where I'm losing money. I feel like I'm competitive on my pricing. I feel like we're doing good work. Why am I, why can I not make any money here? And so just uh, over actually the winter of 2018, just dug deep into my numbers, recalculated my profits, my expenses and, and cut away. I had, was running 120 clients and I cut out a hundred of them. Oh, wow. My 20 highest profitability clients rebid everything. And, and then went into 2019, kind of worked on tweaking the brand, building the brand up. And it was, we ended up grossing the same thing in 2019 that we did in 2018 with a 55% higher net profit. That's a lot better. With half, the, <laughs> with half the crew. And I worked probably two thirds of the hours. And so then I was like, it sort of clicked. I'm like, okay, there, this is a good business. But by that point, I was just, I was just whooped, like mentally, physically, spiritually, and and so I was kind of hitting a, a brick wall of it, even though the business was really actually financially beginning to get successful and the brand was starting to kind of build. Just personally, I was worn out. Mm. And I had some I had some people that were interested in buying it and had mentioned that. And so I just started feeling things out, looking at other job opportunities, other contracting, I ended up selling the company. And it was really difficult. A lot of my identity got tied up in it. Yep. Yep, you know, I feel I, the same thing. And, and well, t- we've talked about it before. It's like I was kind of known in the area as being the stripe guy, and, and it was something that I had gotten really good at. And it was really it was the first thing in my life that I had ever been really good at. Mm. And so that was that was difficult for me to give up. Where like I I felt like it was giving up a lot of my identity. yeah. It's a piece of you. Yeah, and up to that point, it's like started that when I was twelve, and you know at twenty, that was almost half my life, and definitely the majority of my you know teen years and all of that. And so. Um, it was difficult to step away from, but that was what kickstarted, I think, the the pursuit of the mental health that I've really begun to develop and personal development, got into mentorships and more into podcasts and started working through a lot of the baggage from my childhood and worked through stuff with my dad and, and stepping out of the operational side of business for a while gave me the, the mental clarity and space to sort of start working through some of that stuff. And, um, and then I stepped into a role doing construction sales and project management consulting for another general contractor, working underneath the owner directly and just learned a ton about business and finance and and how to run the internal side and how to utilize technology and um, just sort of filling in a lot of my weak links that I had my own company. Well, that's nice. You can, you could have got, you know, you were getting paid and learning at the same time versus running the business yourself and having to do all of it and, and guess and pay yourself. Yeah, so it, it kinda... was the best of both worlds because I was operating still as my own entity, subcontracting for a general contractor. Oh, okay. So gotcha. I was 100% commission. I worked on my own hours, but I was, so I was able to utilize being self-employed while working underneath the liability being carried by the owner and directly under his mentorship. And so I look back on it and it was it was a really transformational two-year period in my life mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that was that was really incredible 
hmm. be able to sort of transition out of the the stresses of owning my own company into a, a sort of lighter load time period, but one where I was able to begin working through, you know, just personal issues while also massively increasing my knowledge of business and, and just practical experience there. Gotcha. So whenever you you got done with the construction consulting deal, you were just like, I'm gonna pack it up and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go travel. Yeah, well it's <laughs> I wish it was that simple. It was that was another really difficult transition because um, I started I started doing pretty well at it, and um, the, the owner was just phenomenal to work with. I've, I've never worked for somebody better. Hmm. And um, and so it was difficult to step away from, but he, he ran a pretty small ship, and I was doing I was doing all the sales and most of the project management, and I the project management is not my strength. The sales is really where I do well, the branding, the sales, the internal stuff. Gotcha. And so it was it was just kind of beginning to grade on me. And I'm like, man, I don't know that I want to do this long term. I think I want to pursue more sales or maybe more consulting in the sales space. And so that sort of began a thinking reset for me. I'm like, what's next? And um, I actually left that company and joined another roofing company as full-time sales for about two months and just discovered some internal things there that I couldn't agree with to put it <laughs> so is this is this you making sorry sorry yeah is this uh is this you making like cold calling to people that... um it's mostly taking leads you know leads that are coming into the company and then you're going out and you're closing them or upselling gotcha. them whatever. Gotcha. or like a hailstorm rolls through or something yeah, and, you're, like... and you're going out and you're working with adjusters and a lot of roof inspections stuff hmm. like that so. you do any solar stuff um i i looked into solar for a while i just i think that there's definitely a lot of industry there a lot of future in it it just didn't fit well for me i guess is the best way to put that yeah so. yeah I've, a lot of those roofing guys it seems like they mix in the solar with it yeah so. i mean they they tie together really well and and even if you're a solar guy you need contacts with a good roofer and mm -hmm. if you're a roofer nowadays you kind of need contacts with a good solar company and so yeah there's definitely some crossover there and you can build those relationships with uh, you know contractors mm. that's what we ended up doing but i have looked into the solar space and it's it's a pretty wild arena on its own it sounds like there's a lot of competition there. We, yeah, me and Mitchell actually went to a conference deal. Uh, you ever heard of Bradley and Andy uh, Andy Elliott? I don't think so. You haven't? No. No, they're not going to like that. Well. Not what they're not. Yes, they are going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, were, they were all like car salesmen and solar salesmen and stuff, and there was just everybody in there kind of seemed like a, a shark frenzy in yeah, there type I've, deal. I've really developed a, a kind of a different mentality behind sales, which is instead of the like the high pressure uh, closing today, volume, 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 kind of the timeshare sales mentality where yeah. you're you're really like enticing and pushing people, maybe even into a transaction that they they're not that interested in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I just don't believe in sales that way. I believe yeah. in much more build relationship, build mutual respect, and, and solve a problem and add value, and then mm -hmm. you're going to sell. And so. I think one of the best sales tactics you can ever do is by pushing away a customer. Like, hey, you don't need me or you don't need me yet. Okay. And you come in and you look at a roof and maybe it's worn. You say, hey, you don't need a roof for two to five years. And maybe another contractor would try to sell them a roof that day. But they don't really need it. Well, they're going to trust you. But their trust factor goes yeah. way yeah. up. Yeah. Right. And you bet they're going to call you in two years when they need a roof. Yeah. And so... It's a, it's a long-term game, and it's harder because, sure, you've got to pay bills this month. <laughs> you need to have profitability this month. But I really have believed that if you stick that out long-term, you build a name that's trustworthy, and people value you as a person. They know you value them, 
and they'll trust you with anything. And I saw that going, you know, selling the landscaping company, I carried so many relationships, contacts, and customers over into the construction. And then I'm putting roofs on for people that I used to do landscaping for. Hmm. And they didn't care that I had completely 180 in industry. Mm-hmm. They knew that value-wise, quality of work, they were going to get the same result for me in the roofing space as they were in landscaping. And so yeah, it's a different mentality behind sales, but I pretty against high pressure sales. Yep, same. For sure. Same. So, yeah. Yep. That, I, uh, I did sales for only probably six months for this company, and then I ended up moving away from them because of internal things like that that just felt yeah. like they were – they didn't care about how to get the sale. They just wanted you to do it. And they, I was, yep. you know, they're a remote company, so they weren't the ones, you know, dealing with the people I was. And they yep. wanted me to do things where I was like, you know, I live here. I'm going to see these people in the future. This it doesn't feel right, so I'm not with them anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you know you're putting somebody like, especially with solar, some of these sales are thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, you're signing somebody up for fifty grand of debt. Maybe they can't actually afford it. And you can do your whole pitch about how. It, you know, it lowers their utility bill and it's he- it's hedge against inflation and all that. But sometimes the reality is they can't afford that monthly mm-hmm. payment. But they get so, you know, psyched into it by a good sales tactic that they'll mm-hmm. bite. I've always... They buy it and, and it's... I just don't want to put people in that position. Yeah. You know? Is that a mortgage against the house? Because I was wondering, like, that, if you go to sell that house... It goes with it. And when you buy that house, you've got to get the, the solar financed into the loan to buy the house. Mm. Unless you've got enough money that you can like pay off. The yeah, but most people don't. House, but a lot of people aren't. So, yikes! Yeah, so you could have solar put on your house that costs another fifty thousand. You try to sell your house for two hundred fifty, but you're actually going to pay three hundred for the house because the solar panels on the roof. Yeah. And what if you can't? What if you can get approved for the two hundred fifty thousand dollars house, but you can't get approved for a three hundred thousand dollars loan? And yeah. So you know it's. Hmm. There's definitely a cost to it. There's benefit to it for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's especially as solar technology is getting better. There's times it makes a lot of sense, and and I'm not I'm not one to bash solar. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's actually a pretty cool technology, um, and I I don't know nearly enough about it to really have an educated conversation. Uh, but just that whole idea of high pressure sales putting yeah. people in a position that they just don't necessarily need to be in. And, I can't do that in good conscience. (laughs) I imagine as time goes on, that's just going to be something that's going to be a natural part of every house, you know, when it becomes way more affordable, you know, 20, 50 years from now as the technology is perfected, you know. Well, Uh, and it's integrated systems. And you've got Tesla that's doing stuff where it's the solar. The roof tiles, yeah. So your your actual roofing material is solar panels. and, And so some of those types of things make a lot of sense so instead of spending 50 grand on your roof and 50 grand on your solar maybe you're spending 75 grand and you're getting a solar roof yeah yeah and so some of those sort of integrations are going to start making more and more sense yeah technology gets no i was i was totally for the solar field yeah, i was exactly. just talking about like <laughs> if i was if somebody's trying to get me to buy it i'd be like how am i going to sell this house if if this huge mortgage on the solar panels yeah. also have to go with the house that would i don't know it'd just be be harder to sell that way, I would think. Yeah, I, I think the numbers can make sense, but you've got to you've got to work them out. It's got to make sense, you know, to each individual person. Yeah. So where'd you go after? What'd you do after that? So we're at a t- the timeline. You said you're only with that particular roofing company for about two months. You said. Yeah, it's two months. It was basically I I got in long enough to see that, but um, mostly they were just ethical issues mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I had with, with how things were operating and and so on and and so I stepped basically right back out of it, kind of finished off what I was in the middle of and stepped back out. And and at that point, I was in this sort of odd transition that I hadn't found myself in since I was really a kid. I, you know, starting the landscaping company young, even by the time I was 18, 19, I was pretty tied down with that. 
And then at 18, I bought a house and a shop and said, I've got a mortgage, mm-hmm. you know, and you've got cash flow you got to keep up with and different commitments at church and, and owning a business and sort of tied to Springfield. And there's a part of you, especially as young guys, we all wonder like, oh, there's adventure. What's out yeah. there? I want to yeah. go enjoy it, see the world. And, and it just wasn't an option. It was just kind of tied down. And at this point, I had, was in transition between churches and then um, had sold the company and left the roofing company and real estate was at an all-time high. So I'm like, man, I could, I could sell my house in seven days if I wanted to. Yeah, and for whatever you wanted. Yeah, for like, <laughs> I could ask a kind of ridiculous number and somebody's gonna come pay cash for it yeah. and I can be out of there. Yeah. So I just sort of started asking the question, what do I really wanna do? And I, I looked into some other work. I looked into selling solar and, and uh, had some really nice job opportunities there and looked into doing some more consulting or and I was like, I, I kind of want to just go adventure. Yeah. And I sort of skipped the adventure phase of being a teenager. I was borderline a workaholic. Work, yeah. Um, you know, from probably 14 and then especially 16 and on. And when all my buddies were going to the lake and wakeboarding or they're riding their bikes or whatever, it's like I was working. Mm-hmm. I was working sun up to sundown a lot of days, six, seven days, you know, a week. And I'm grateful for that in a way because it put me in the place where I am today. But at the same time, I sort of skipped an entire phase of my life. And one of my mentors sat me down and he was like, you know, Tony, you're going to be 30 and you'll be a millionaire and you'll hate your life. Mm. And I sort of swallowed hard and I'm like, oh, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Yep. And I didn't know exactly what that was supposed to look like. And, and so that year I did some more traveling. I think I went snowboarding once. I went to Florida. And, and then it was two years later when I decided to make the big shift and just sell everything put money away and pass an investment and packed up and headed west. <laughs> I think it's, I think me and you have pretty much lived the same life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say put money away and pass an investment. That's not always the easiest thing for people to do unless you have a ridiculous amount of money. If, I mean, are you making enough passively to live? Do you, yeah, are you going to yeah. have to go to work again yeah, in the I'll future? Definitely have to go. I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I could probably go to a third world country <laughs> and <laughs> live on rice and beans and yeah. maybe retire, quote unquote. But, you know, in the U.S., you're not with any real semblance of life. So yeah. for me, that's that's all long-term trajectory. You know, I'm putting money away that is going to grow and compound. Yeah. And I, I try to, the rule of compounding is don't break it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the money that I get from interest goes right back into more investments. And so I don't take from that. And I set aside a chunk of money and I was like, okay, if I blow through this, I don't care. This is adventure money. This is travel money. And I did. I blew mm-hmm. through it and it was a great time. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's a lot of money. But I know when I'm 50, I'm going to look back and I'm going to care. Yep. The, the memories I made in that, especially the last year, mm-hmm. just phenomenal. I wonder yeah. what the percentage of people are that actually get to go and travel and do what you've done. Like, how many people actually get to go see all the 50 states that live in the United States? I bet it's less the than The only 1%. people I've ever met who said it are old people. Yeah. <laughs> that they did it after, they're, you know, in an RV when they're 70 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And they can't actually There's go see it. There's a cool value in doing that. Oh, you know, yeah. When you're 60, 70... But there's a there's a different kind of travel you can do when you're a young guy. Well, you, you know, can actually like, do it. You can go do the hikes. And, yeah, exactly. and when you're you seventy, you cannot a climb a mountain and, yet. Yeah. You can drive around all the park roads, but you can't and get up there and look at the stuff exactly. you're looking at. <laughs> and it comes with some miserable experiences too. It's like I was driving across the desert in Utah, and it was 105 degrees with a 30 mile an hour headwind, and your truck's overheating, and you're you're 60 miles from anything in the middle of the desert. Mm. And it's 105. 
you know, and, and that's kind of a sucky experience. That could kill got, you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then you've got cold nights where, you, you know, you're sleeping in a tent out of your truck and you're freezing your butt off. And so I, I think that when it really comes down to it, more people could do that kind of adventure if they were willing to embrace the unknown and some really miserable mm-hmm. experiences. Well, and just decide to do it. It's amazing. Like, I... Right, right now if you're like hey let's go to Hyatt but okay let's let's book a ticket right now yeah. and go it's just like but I'll ask somebody that has has the money doesn't necessarily have the time but it's like hey let's just go I'm like, oh, we need to plan this out and stuff yep. it's like man you just miss so many opportunities because yeah. you're not just willing to go yeah yeah I agree with that yeah. and I think embrace of the challenges it it makes the good experiences better mm-hmm. like those overheating truck in the desert or those super cold nights in a tent you go home and, and you get a hot shower in a comfortable <laughs> bed and it means more to you than it yeah. ever did before appreciate it yeah exactly yeah. and so the, the embrace of the miserable experiences increases your appreciation of good experiences yeah. in a really special way so what do you think is the coolest place you've been so so far the top 10 coolest place top 10. Been. Uh, 10 sounds like you've been to a lot of <laughs> yeah, yeah. people would say top t- top experience i'm like i don't know they're so broad that's a good point it's top 10 i'm not going to count i'll just list it yeah let's go like the first uh, one off the top of your head that you recommend everybody go see or do well you know that's a funny question because the best experiences i've had are doing things that most people won't ever do and it's not that they couldn't it's just that they won't and so okay. one of the top ones is uh, backpacking in the Dolomites, which is a sub-mountain range of the Alps. In that would be cool. Uh, so that's northern Italy, mm-hmm. where it actually used to be Austria. You've already done this? Yeah. Oh, really? So I spent Those are cool-looking mountains. Oh, I've seen pictures of it. It's like up. super sharp peaks that they look are. crazy. And they're so much bigger than they look. Like they, they look like big mountains in the pictures, and then you're there, and you're walking alongside a 3,000-foot vertical cliff, and they're just like cathedral mountains. Huh. And so some people see those... You know, they'll drive through northern Italy and they'll see them from um, some of the towns up there. But hiking out there and spending six days by yourself where you can't even see the sign of another human. (laughs) For as far as you can see, you get to experience them in a whole different way. Hmm. And so I think my favorite experiences have been doing those kinds of adventures where you're sort of plunging yourself into experiences that might be really miserable. Like the first three days of that hike were horrible. It was overcast rainy all my gear was soaked it was cold you couldn't see but 30 yards ahead of you Mm. and you know you're hiking around the most incredible mountains you've ever seen and you You just can't see it and then the fourth day man it cleared up got warm the clouds all broke away the sun came out and it's like oh my gosh this is the place i've been hiking in for three days Mm. and so but it was that three days of the miserable experience (laughs) that come with it and and i think you've got to be willing to pay that price to to gain the enjoyment of that really good experience yeah i uh i watched a uh, youtube documentary about that's like an hour long a little bit ago i cannot remember the name of it but it was of these like four guys that were all like 45 years old that were all army vets that decided to ride motorcycles from the very north like a really northern end of alaska all the way down to argentina oh. Yeah. And the the really interesting part for me was the like nine days they spent in the Darien Gap, which is like the gap uh, where there's no roads or anything between Panama and whatever I, I can't remember Colombia I think is okay. what it is yeah. where there's it's just the 
harshest jungle environment anybody could ever do and they're pushing motorcycles through the mud <laughs> and it took nine days to get through it was only like 20 miles that they had or 50 miles that they had to go through uh and just how miserable they looked through it but then all the crazy cool things that they got to do afterwards it still looked fun to me to be didn't honest. you say they like burn all their clutches out yeah of they the motorcycles all, all four of them had motorcycles terrible. all four clutches got burnt out because they're like Oof. just muddy inclines there's no trails or anything going yeah. through there they had to hire guides that are like a, a, a tribe of people that live in that area that they you know guide people through the jungle that they're like with ropes they got 20 guys pulling the motorcycle up the hill while they're and all of the clutches went out so they had one of them they just left there some they dragged through there it was crazy looking and i've hmm. read about that area a lot and it interested me a lot i kind of want to go there yeah. I think it's those experiences that shape us as a person, and they test us as men. Yeah. <laughs> I think that as men, we there's a part of us that longs to be tested because we want to prove ourselves. Yeah, you know, and in the West, it was gunfights and fistfights in a bar or whatever, and you're always measuring yourself up against another man. But I think ultimately, you're measuring yourself up against yourself. And so, especially when you're when you're out in the middle of the mountains by yourself alone, you you find out what you're made of, and you start finding out things that are going on inside your mind or your heart that might really bother you and you can't get away from it now it's like well it's time to deal with with your demons <laughs> to to put it frankly that uh that long that 20 mile hike that i was telling you that me and cody went on i'd, I'd say i've never felt more accomplished in my life than probably about the middle of that hike was the, t the highest point of it and the rest of it was a was a decline so you have to you go up a canyon up over a pat a mountain pass and then down another canyon and I have never been so miserable trying to climb up like the face of that mountain. More wore out, more thought I just physically wasn't gonna be able to do it. And then at the top of it, never I mean, I've never felt so relieved in my life and good. Yeah. And then the next ten and a half miles that we had, I was like, now this is gonna be exciting because we <laughs> yeah. had done the hard part and then you get down to it. And then I bet that memory got better three hours after you were done. Yeah. And then three days after you've done it, three months later. I mean, I, I think about it all the time. That yeah. place is, is amazing. I want to go back. I'd and live there now. you don't remember the pain as much as you remember <laughs> yeah. the good that came yep. from yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. How is it, uh, like, you've pretty much done all this by yourself, right? Like, you haven't yeah. really traveled with anybody? I, I've made I've made some friends along the way, um, you know, all over. It's like, in the Dolomites in Italy, there was a, a couple that I met. And we hiked together for a part of a morning and mm. you know, they're from Israel and, and they're like, oh, you could come to Israel anytime and, and come stay with us. And so you can sort of bump shoulders with other travelers. And then there's been a few different places around the country where I've linked up with either friends or family and, you know, crashed a couple nights at their house mm -hmm. and do some climbing together. Or you go mountain bike together. Or stuff oh, like you do that. rock climbing and stuff too? Yeah. Yeah. Just I, everything. I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> rock climbing. Cool mountain climbing I, all that i hear these stories about people uh like climbing without gear and stuff up huge mountains and i don't understand mm. how they can do that uh i didn't used to either and then this winter i've done a fair bit of free soloing on on some pretty moderate mountains some of the 14 years in colorado and, wow um the headspace you get to go to free soloing a mountain where you're quite literally looking death in the face it's really interesting. I get on top of a stepladder and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the engaging that level of fear, I think is really, for me, it's been it's been insightful and it's been healthy, and, hmm. and it translates over into life. 
and I, I something people are like, oh, you're just not afraid. I'm like, no, I'm afraid all the time. What are you <laughs> talking about? Every time I jump off a big mountain bike jump, I'm scared. <laughs> it's I think it's the ability to control that fear and then ultimately move past it. And then that's helped me in life. Like when I moved out and bought my house at 18, it was the scariest thing I've mm -hmm. ever done up to that point in my life. But I had been rock climbing and, and mountain biking for a few years before that. And I had already began to develop a system in my mind for how to deal with fear. Yeah. And so just the, the embrace of fear and doing hard things has translated over into just regular life decisions too. It's amazing how, how in life you go, as you go, your pain tolerance just gets greater and greater and greater. Like you said, I, I bought my house at 18 too. I didn't know yeah. if you know that or not, but uh, whenever I bought my house, I was like, oh my God, I'm not doing anything. I'm paying this thing off, paying this thing off. Yeah. And, and now it's like, you know, you go get a $50,000 loan here and there, and it's just not nearly as big of a deal as yep. it was yep. back then. Just like I'm sure the first time you go uh, mountain climbing, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And then and yeah. then next time you do it, you're, you know, there's it's a, a little there's easier. There's a meme that I, I have on my phone, and it's a picture of a wolf with an arrow in him, and it's like a little puppy wolf, and he's laying on the ground almost dead. Okay. And it says the old me. And below it is a full-grown adult wolf with an entire quiver of arrows in it, just bleeding all over the place. It says the new me. Hmm. So it's like, you know, you're still getting hit by life. Yeah. Stuff's still attacking you. But your your ability to endure that pain and your tolerance for pain and just your toughness is so much more increased that now you've got 20 arrows in you and you're more alive than when you had the one arrow in you younger. Hmm. I like that. And I, I think that's a very appropriate metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what are some other places? I don't. I don't think you ever actually named ten yeah, places. Yeah, we got. Oh, that was like good. Distracted. It's okay. I'd say it's probably the top one. Really? Um, Yosemite in, yep. in Southern uh, California. Yeah. We had a permit. <laughs> Him and I went on a trip to California last summer, and I was. I, w I got. Uh, I went broke, so I ended up having to come back way sooner than I thought. <laughs> That's fair. Happens <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> but we had a permit to go do that hike or that trail that goes all the way up to the top of a uh, half dome yeah uh and then we came back like a month before that so we never ended up doing it but i want to do it so bad dude half dome is incredible so when i first got to yosemite um my cousin he's he's a rock climber too he's a good trad climber okay and uh, he was like let's climb half dome like the, the, the rock climbing route the yeah. front side oh the yeah front <laughs> the flat part. And i was like okay let's <laughs> climb half dome <laughs> And I, I had climbed just a little bit of multi-pitch, and multi-pitch is where, I mean, you're way up on a rock face, and one guy climbs up, sets up a belay station, and the next guy climbs up to him. They're hooked into rock, hanging on the side of a cliff, yeah. belaying and climbing each other. You know, so half dome, that climb is, is nine pitches, so you're like a thousand feet in the air. Mm. You're hanging in a harness on the side of a cliff, belaying your buddy climbing. And, and so we summited half dome that way the first day. And then uh, I think it's after... October 31st, you don't have to have a permit anymore to do half dome. They take the cables down, but yeah. you can just go do it. And so oh, you can still go up it? Yeah, they yeah. just don't oh. have the cables to go to walk up it the way that yeah. most people do without exactly. the cool gotcha. climbing gotcha. route. <laughs> you want to have a harness and be able to get clipped in. And, um, so I did a sunrise hike up there, and we barely made it. I started at 3 a.m. We got onto the top of half dome maybe, maybe five minutes before the sun poked up over the horizon and it was one of those glorious sunrises i've ever seen hmm. and again it's one of those where it's like you don't want to wake up at two in the morning and it's cold <laughs> you're, just, you're hiking in the dark for four hours you're climbing up onto half dome you're like oh, why am i doing this and then that sun comes up over there and the just beaming light and the warmth hits you and yeah and it's another one of those things where all of a sudden you forget all the pain 
They, uh, I've been reading a lot about uh, Kilimanjaro and people doing that, uh, the hike that it takes to climb up that. Yeah. And they say the very, the, it all has to be like guided, I guess, because of they carry, help carry food for you and stuff. And it's like, takes like a week to do because yeah. of the acclimation. But they say that the very last day of it is like that. They wake you up in your tent at two in the morning and then you have, you get there right at sunrise and then you have to start coming back down. But yeah. The timing works out like that, and they say everybody. It's like the worst part, but it's the most, the best sunrise I've ever seen. Hmm. You know, I want to, do, I want to climb Kilimanjaro so bad. Where is that? That's in Ken, what's uh, Tasmania and Kenya. Tanzania. I think it's like oh, Tanzania. Yeah, yeah, my bad, not Tasmania. That's a different. <laughs> that's an island. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I was at Yosemite last March, I think, about a year ago. Yeah, and uh, it was the uh, sunset was going down. It's amazing. Like those mountains are so big. I didn't even know there were rock climbers up on them. Yep. And just at, at night, you could like see their flashlights and it stuff. It looks like, like stars. Yeah, I'm it? like, there's people up there right now doing that. I can't even see them. Yeah, people climbing El Cap. You know, it's a 3,000-foot vertical face of granite. Yeah. And there's people that are spending a week or 10 days climbing it. That's you know, crazy. They're sleeping on a little tiny cot called a portal edge hanging off the side of the cliff. Mm-hmm. And they live up there for a week. I've heard that <laughs> yeah. some people, that That's awesome. there are people who climb it in hours that whole that in like nine hours or something was like one of the fastest times people had done it yeah so there's a Mm. movie called free solo Uh and it's about alex honnold he free solos el cap so he he climbs that entire almost three thousand foot face no gear or anything yeah and i mean he he had climbed it dozens and dozens of times some parts of the route over a hundred times memorizing Mm. every perfect move um and there's a whole documentary about it well worth watching um, yeah, free climbs, El Cap, and it's just phenomenal. I'm surprised they let you do that. Well, I mean, I, I guess they can't stop you once you're up there. there every year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this it's one of those things where there's still some ways that a guy can push himself to the limits. Yeah. He wants to. I wish I remembered the name of it, but I watched a documentary a little while ago on Netflix about a guy from Nepal who, who wanted to climb all of the world's, uh, all the peaks over, uh, 20,000 or 26,000 feet or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember how many. Uh, so yeah, I don't four, remember. 14 peaks. Yeah, is that what it was? It was that yeah. guy from Nepal and a team of them, and he that was crazy. And he did it all in like less than a year or two, yep. which was the, the really crazy part about it. And it just looked like somebody who's okay with putting themselves in really terrible situations all the time. Hmm. Yeah, so Nims Dipruja is the climber, Nepali climber. Oh. And the, the previous world record was 16 years for a climber to climb all 14 of the 8,000 meter peaks. Okay. And they were trying to do it in seven months. And they got it. They got it. Yeah. They were actually just over six months. And the mm. only reason it took them that long was it took a month to get permission from the Chinese government to climb Shishapangma, which was the last one that they had to do. Mm-hmm. And um, Ch- the Chinese government was being kind of stubborn about it. They're like, no, nobody's climbing it this year. And um, so the whole world ended up like bombarding the Chinese government with emails and letters, like you got to let these guys climb. It's a world record. And so they end up yeah, you're wasting their time for one climb for Nim's team to go climb it, and that's another one that's documenting well worth watching. And hmm. it's it's those types of guys that in, that inspire me to do what I do. Like I love to climb mountains and and ice climb and mountaineer. And later this year we're climbing Mount Rainier, which is oh, wow. one of the hardest mountains in the 48 states. And it's, it's those guys that inspired me to do what I'm doing, you know? And then recently I had a friend message me and they're like, oh, you, you inspired me to climb. They just started rock climbing. And I'm like, well, that's so cool. Like we're <laughs> all getting inspiration from somebody. Yeah, yeah. And then if we all give it back, dude, the world's a better place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You never know who you'll get it from. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Do you have any places that you think were bad experiences that you, that were 
what's like the worst experience you've had traveling? Oh, geez. or any sketchy situations? To be fair, I try to just forget a lot of. Yeah. Course, even if you're not trying Except to, for bringing it up. Yeah. yeah, they're they're so over overwhelmed by good experiences that yeah. I I don't even remember them the same way. Um, I've definitely had some miserable ones, and then you've had there's some that were just disappointing. Like I'm probably going to catch flack for this, but I went to. Um, Oh, geez. It's the National Park in California. Joshua Tree. Oh, yeah. And I was like, why did I even come here? Hmm. Like, I think the rock climbing there is great, but I was solo, so I wasn't rock climbing. Yeah. And I was like, this is the most overrated national park I've ever been to. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've yeah. been wanting to go to all the national parks. That's like the thing that I want to do. And so yeah. I went to Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. Have you ever been there? No. That is just like the, it. That place is like Branson, but way worse. It's just like an old <laughs> town. That's it. And it's a national park and with some buildings that they built over hot springs that used to be like a bathhouse. And that's basically yeah. all it is. The Indiana Sand Dunes sucks. Have you been there? Indiana Dunes. It was kind of cool because it was there. a beach on Lake Michigan, which I'd never been to. But as far as national parks, it's not. Yeah, as, National parks need to be like grand things like Zion and Yosemite and Grand Teton and Yellowstone. That's what I yeah. think of. A, yeah. I mean, the Arch is a national park, so yeah. it's the smallest one. Is that the smallest one? Yep, it's okay. uh, it's, it's like a hundred acres or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so I um, yeah, a lot of cool places. Yosemite definitely up in the top. The Pacific Northwest is kind of a hole. That, that's a really shocking place yeah. to me. And um, growing up in Missouri, I think we all did. You sort of have this idea that like, oh, Washington is just like this wet, overcast mm-hmm. rainforest, and then I get up there and I'm like, this is high desert. And it's like divided by the Cascades right down the middle. Yeah. And the coastal side is that kind of overcast, rainy, wet. There's even literally a rainforest yeah. up there. And then the eastern side, on the other side of the Cascades, is high desert. And it's a different world. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, I had no idea half the state was dry and conservative. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so just things like that. We sort of formulate ideas in our heads about different places in the country or the world. And then you go there and, and you just have your eyes sort of open and... And it's, it's really a fun experience. And yep. so the Pacific Northwest is definitely up there. Uh, there's one hike called the Enchantments right outside. I've heard of that. Leavenworth, Washington, mm. which is, it's kind of like the Dolomites in Italy on a little bit smaller scale. Um, it's well worth doing. Super, super nice. I'm a desert type guy. Yeah, like, desert calls to a special yeah, breed. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, stuff Mountains like are so I mean, cooler. I like it all. But anything like the Rockies, West... Love it. Well, there's a lot of stuff. Well, I know. Like that, that part of the United States that way, the east side, you know, in the Midwest. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, well, there's a little part of North Carolina that's pretty cool around <laughs> Nashville. Other than that, give me, give me the Rockies and West. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. I've been wanting yeah. to, have you, how many uh, countries have you been to? Not very many. So I've been to Africa. Well, and that's then, uh, where so in Kenya it? and Africa. Okay. okay. And then I've been to Austria, Germany, France, and Italy. Okay. And that's it. More than I've, I've only been to Mexico, so. Okay, well, I've, you know, I haven't even been to Mexico. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I want to go to was, Iceland so bad oh, because that place remarkable. looks amazing. Yeah, I love cold weather and anything ice and frozen and snow. I love it. And I want to see the northern lights more than anything. You know, we could see them from here in Missouri two weeks ago. What? Are you kidding me? It's the I, first time they've been able to be seen. I was here two weeks ago. What are you talking about? 50 years. Yeah, Google it. It's shocking. I'm about to be mad because I've, look, you'll I've been dreaming it. about seeing the Northern Lights for a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. You'll probably be able to see them in Alaska. I'm hoping so. Yeah, yeah. yeah you could, I guess if you could see them from here, you ought to be able to see them from anywhere, well, right? Well, they're kind of seasonal dependent, weather dependent, yeah. and, and so on. So yeah. I, I don't know. But I'm, Where in Alaska are you going? So we'll be on Bristol Bay. 
um, fishing out of Naknek. I wish I knew where that was off the top of my head. It's uh, it's basically west southwest of Anchorage. Okay, so that's pretty a long ways west yeah. southwest. <laughs> yeah, Alaska. The <laughs> only town you would ever know in Alaska, Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, Juneau, Anchorage. <laughs> that's all they know. Yeah, they know about fishing and, yeah, yeah. and all of those are like right at the southern end of Alaska. <laughs> yeah, hmm. that's cool that you're doing that. Yeah, I'm excited. I think yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be another one of those that's gonna have really miserable experiences in the middle of it. You know, living with five guys on a 34 foot boat for six weeks. Uh, it's going to be smelly and tight and yeah. probably hungry and eat more salmon than I ever wanted to. But it's going to, I know I'm going to come out of that with That's, memories. That sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. I, I want to see Denali so bad. Is that a mountain you ever think you're going to climb? Um, that may, it's, it's in the thought process. So this year's mountain is Rainier. Uh, yeah. But Denali is getting into a different breed of mountains. And so part of why is because it's, it's north of the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. And so the temperatures up there get really low. The weather can be really bad. And, and Denali is a little bit of a tricky mountain. You can get lucky and get a one-week climb on it, or sometimes it takes a month to climb it. Mm. And so um, in difficulty in weather, <laughs> a lot of it is actually similar to climbing an 8,000-meter peak. Um, the elevation is much lower. It's basically mm-hmm. the height of Kilimanjaro. It's about 20,000 feet. Yeah. Um, so enough altitude that you do need to acclimate, but it's not terrible. Not like you know being in the death zone, which is what those mountains are. So yeah. above 8,000 meters is considered the death zone, which means your body is literally dying faster than it can regenerate itself. Really? The lack of oxygen. Um, at so 16,000 feet? No, at uh, 26,000. Oh, feet, gotcha, gotcha. Or 8,000 gotcha. meters. Yeah, okay. Above that point, you're you're dying. So it's, yeah, it's like over a mile <laughs> taller than Denali is what he's talking about. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So they're high. So Denali in terms of altitude isn't as bad, but it's a... Uh, it's a good warm up for. It's still the peak tallest if peak. You want to do big. <laughs> yeah, it's still the tallest peak in North America, yeah. but it's not that bad. He's saying. <laughs> so it's one of the there's the seven summits. So each continent has its tallest summit, mm-hmm. and Denali is the or also known as Mount McKinley is the tallest in North America, and then Kilimanjaro, which you mentioned earlier, that's the tallest. Yeah, in that's why Kilimanjaro interests me so much is because it stands alone. It's the most prominent mountain in the world, isn't it? There's yeah. no, it's there, it's like a volcano that doesn't have a mountain range around it at all, and that's why it looks- it's shocking when you're there. When, where we were in Kenya, we uh-huh. were all the way south, right on the border of Tanzania, and so like literally seven miles away from the base of Kilimanjaro, and you're out there, and it's borderline plains, and then wham, there's this twenty thousand <laughs> twenty thousand foot mountain there, and really, and it's I I don't know if it's the most elevation climbed but it's one of the most elevation climbed of mountains so you start at like 15 to 1700 feet elevation and you climb to 20,000. i think it would be because i've heard it as the record for the most prominent mountain yeah and i think it, that's like, why so yeah. you're you're actually climbing more vertical feet on kilimanjaro than you are on mount everest which is pretty radical yeah you just don't end up yeah. as high <laughs> and it's it's not technical it's basically a really really long day hike <laughs> So you're not you're not up there with like ropes and crampons and axes. And stuff. I would love huh. to get into backpacking because I think it would be a cool way to break up hikes instead of like that one. I know you said it would be a fun day hike, the 20 mile yeah. one, but it was really hard for us. And <laughs> we were there was multiple points in it where we were looking at maps and we we're looking at what time it was and we we're like, this is we're not going to make it mm-hmm. out of here before it is nighttime, and then we're going to be in trouble <laughs> because <laughs> we just passed bears, there's moose <laughs> over there, <laughs> and <laughs> it's going to get cold. <laughs> The moose are definitely the bigger concern yeah. than the bears. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bears will leave you alone. The moose might kill you. The moose were... In, we saw the moose. They were in the trail. They laid down in the middle of the trail like when we were in the woods. Oh, uh, and we had to like climb, go through the woods around them so that... 
but there was two of them. And you remember how thick it was, like off the trail. At that part right yeah. there, yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy yeah. when you do a hike that that long. How much different terrain, how much the terrain changes throughout it as you go up elevation. That we're in like really thick woods, and then you're you're on top of a mountain where there's not even grass growing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's fun, but you guys get to see the world because of that in a different way than most people ever. It's like you can drive into Yosemite and look at half them. You're like, wow, that's so cool. But then when you're standing on top of it, it's completely different. Yeah, and absolutely. You're, you're standing above El Cap. And people are like, what? Yosemite's higher than El Cap? Or uh, half them's higher than El Cap? And you're like, yeah, and you're looking down on it. And so, and then you really get to see how big Yosemite Valley is. Mm-hmm. And Yosemite Valley is big. And then you look around and you realize that's like a 30th of the Yosemite National Park. Mm-hmm. And almost as far as you can see around the Sierras, you're looking at Yosemite. Yeah. And you're like... Wow, you could literally go out there for months and not see all of it. Yep. It's remarkable. I would like to do more hiking in Yosemite for sure. But Yeah, I would definitely go back. <laughs> yeah, I want to I also want to see lava. I want to go to uh, Hawaii again and we we just spent time like in Honolulu, but I want to go to the Big Island and see some of the like Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. I want to see lava so bad. I don't know why, but the thought of it just looks seems like it would look cool. <laughs> I've climbed on a lot of X lava. Which is lava rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, how do you like? Whenever you're, you said you're going to go to Hawaii pretty soon. How are you going to like? What's a planning a trip for you like? Like, are you just going to go there and you figure it out once you're there? Or do you plan the whole thing out? And... So I've sort of played with it all the way across the spectrum. Okay. Um, like when I when I went to Europe, I was going over for a, a friend's wedding in Paris that I was in. And uh, so I had that part really planned out. You know, I had an Airbnb and we had a schedule and I had to run a tux and all this stuff. And so it's like everything was planned out. And then I, on the tail end, and then I went over to Italy, backpacked in the Dolomites, and then I went to Southern Italy and I, I flew down to Sicily. And so on that one, I went to the opposite spectrum. I landed and walked out of the airport and thought, well, I should find a place to stay. <laughs> so I went to Sicily with zero plan. Yeah. In the back of my head, I was thinking, I'm going to rent a motorcycle, I'm going to ride around the island. And just see stuff. You know, it's not that big. It's like, you know, 90 or 100 miles across it. And, and so it would be fun on a motorcycle. And I had three days. Um, well, I forgot my international driver's license. And you can't rent a motorcycle in Italy without it. Mm. So I end up with a little bit of a different trip <laughs> in Sicily than I expected. How do you get an international driver's license? It's actually not too hard. You, you can go into like AAA office and do it. So like I went in. I didn't even know that was a thing. Kenya. Yeah. See, that's what's an interesting thing hmm. about... Some of those things you ha- you can't get around pl- planning. Like you, yeah. some countries just might not let you in if you didn't plan properly. You yep. know. <laughs> yep. And that's all part of the adventure. You know. And and I had been running pretty hard for the couple weeks before that, and so I I kind of took that time in um, in Sicily to just sort of relax. And I spent a lot of time. I did a lot of walking just around the local city I was in, and probably not the safest stuff. I'd like go into some of the darker parts of town at night, and I I got to see italian culture probably differently than i would have anywhere else i'm like walking down these streets where probably an 80 percent chance of getting mugged you know but people like italy comes to life at night Hmm. like they're going out for dinner at 7 30 to 9 o'clock and then like 10 o'clock the whole city is buzzing and you're like oh my gosh what is this you're walking down these streets and all the markets are open and people are sitting around they're smoking cigars and having some food and, and all chatting and and it's like when the nightlife and the community comes alive and there's kids out and families they're doing their grocery shopping going to do their laundry and you're in a rough part of town hmm. and um 
it was kind of fun. It was a little bit sketchy. You're like, I'm probably going to get mugged. Like, this could be really bad. But, yeah. uh, like, I'd I'm never get back home. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, but I got to see uh, a really real part of the Italian culture firsthand. And, I mean, I probably stuck out like a sore thumb. It's like this clearly white American. <laughs> I did not belong in that part yeah. of town. Um, and so, like, an unusual experience was like, well, this is kind of sucky. I'm stuck in one town now because I can't get a motorcycle. Yeah turned into a really cool experience right i just got to see the culture first. do they have like uber over there uh not not really gotcha. some places they do it's not very reliable like you might be waiting on an uber ride for 30 minutes and then finally they'll be coming and then they'll just cancel on you mm. <laughs> uh, but most of the public transit's pretty good like train systems and buses um but i i hadn't planned anything in sicily because i was going to do it via a motorcycle and just ride around and find stuff yeah yeah and so i was a little bit unprepared and and i ended up just taking that one and just kind of be chilling and enjoy the local culture do you ever have to learn any bit of languages for places like that um so that two week stint was difficult because i was in france germany austria and italy yeah. all within two weeks and all so of them have different languages french, german, <laughs> austrian german italian and italian german and so it's like <laughs> there there's all the and then in italy a lot of people spoke spanish too and so you pick up little pieces of phrases here and there you learn the common language the pleases and thank yous and uh stuff like that and i don't remember almost any of it <laughs> how was it getting around there like you rely on your phone to like for yeah, translating stuff much, or? to okay. be fair um yeah. google translates great you can download <laughs> languages it's like you can download french and because a lot of places you don't have signal so you can use that. Um, I, I had a couple. It was really stressful at the beginning. I didn't really understand how the train system or buses worked. Yeah. And I had gotten the URL pass. I'm like, oh, great, unlimited train rides for the two weeks that I'm in Europe. And But apparently some trains you still have to book a seat, and I didn't know that. Oh, so mm. I, I had a long train trip from Paris all the way down into to Italy. And I just about missed it because I was supposed to book a seat and pay like another 15 euros or something for it and i didn't realize and so i hadn't booked my seat and i couldn't get on the train and there was a bunch of back and forth in the station They're like oh you got to go see ticketing and then ticketing. Oh, no crap. you got to go see the engineer and this and is all in another engineer. language probably yeah you're <laughs> in a time pinch and they're all speaking french and a couple of them know a little bit of english and you're like well, they're boarding right now i'm gonna miss this 14 hour train you know? oh gosh so I ended up just rebooking a ticket right there, paid full price, it was like $200. I'm like, well, crap. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least you got on. <laughs> you know, so there were a couple of those where um, just learning experiences. But then once you kind of learn the train system and the buses and that, like they change the name of final destinations often, like on a train. And so you're like, <laughs> supposed to be on that train because the number's different the final destination's different but the time is correct and it's going the right direction oh gosh <laughs> you, you uh, get a little creative sometimes but it yeah, seems it's, stressful it's, it's stressful in some moments and then the rest of the time you're just like why, why be stressed you know relax and figure it out and there to have a good time it, it does get better the more you do it that's something that I think people around here don't notice that much and that whenever you go, like we've been to places like New York and D.C. that have like pretty good public transit that everybody relies on. It's kind of interesting that you can just hop on like a train. I know this isn't going across countries and stuff, but you can hop on like a subway in New York and just pop out somewhere else miles away in the city, not have to pay <laughs> yeah. anything extra, mm. you know? Yeah. You ever go explore cities and stuff or are you just mostly all outdoors I stuff? I'm not much of a cities guy. Okay. And, and, and so I've done several of them. Like I've been in most of the, the major Midwest cities. 
um, you know, Chicago, Nashville, Dallas, Houston, mm-hmm. all those kinds of places. Um, and then I, I've done a little bit in San Diego, Seattle, Portland, some of those kinds of cities, Boston, Florida cities. So I've, I've done them, but it's like, for me, I would rather be in the wilderness. And if I'm going to do a city, I'm going to be there for like a day. Yeah, I'm going to hit a couple of things and I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm probably the only guy I know that went to Rome and didn't go see the Coliseum. I was just like, eh. Can you see pictures of it? I want to eat like pasta and, and like meet the Italian culture and drink some good wine and oh, yeah, I walk around the old street. You know? <laughs> like, I just didn't care about the Coliseum. That huh. I'm like, if I'm close, I'll go see it. But And I was only in Rome for like a day and a half. So I didn't have a lot of time. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so it's, it's different. I have a little bit of an odd pursuit of adventure and cultures probably from most people you ever done any of these trips and thought you were gonna die or um, actually in italy hiking the dolomites is that's an 80 mile um 80 miles yeah and how long did that take uh so i did it in in almost exactly five days it was over six days because i started yeah. halfway through the first day and finished in the first half of the mm-hmm. sixth day so it's five days total <laughs> and on um the last full day i had the weather was really bad the first few days. So mm-hmm. I was way behind on mileage. So the last two and a half days, I had to pick up my mileage a lot. And on the last full day, I did like 22 miles. I had done a lot of elevation. And there was one last predominant mountain I had to get up and over. And so I'm like, oh, that's another 2,500 feet of vertical. I'm just going to get up over this thing. And then halfway down the other side, I'll camp. And then I'll have like four or five miles up the next morning. So I, I spend, a, and this is all at dark at this point doing the entire climb so i climb up it um my num got a 40 pound backpack mm. it's a little bit heavy because i'd been in paris for a wedding so i was like carrying stuff that i wouldn't normally have backpack. <laughs> so i get up to the top of this mountain and i had heard somebody mention something about via ferrata and i had never even heard of it and i'm a rock climber and i hadn't heard of it and okay. via ferrata is basically rock climbing except there's like rebar steps drilled into the side of the mountain with like cables and stuff Sounds so you nice. can hook yourself <laughs> into cables and steps but like you need a harness and a lanyard to do it and so I'm like, well, it's probably not going to be that dangerous, right? Like maybe it's one section. I have to just be really careful to climb down it and not die. <laughs> and so I summit this mountain at like midnight. And I'm like, I don't see any trail. And I pretty quickly realized that was the Via Ferrata. Mm. Like, Uh-oh. And so it's this one little traverse around the corner with a cable. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sketchy. But like, I'll just be really careful and I'll be okay. And so... I start down it and I find a trail. I'm like, yeah, perfect. Yep, that's all it was. And so I hike down the trail for a couple hundred yards and there's another section of Via Ferrata. And this one's a little bit more scary. It's like, you know, 20 or 30 feet, mostly straight down ladder and it's pitch black underneath. Like you oh, don't gosh. know what that is. It might be 400 feet. Be Four miles. <laughs> you know, and you're like, it doesn't really oh. matter. You'll still die if you fall. <laughs> and, and at that point you start going in your mind like, well, what should I do? Like it's dangerous to go back up the section I just came down and then I'm still on top of the mountain and it's midnight. So then do I hike three miles down the other side and I still have to get to the end of the trail and the only way around is to hike 10 miles all the way around this thing. I'm like, mm. And so you start playing this game. You're like, is it, is it worth it to go back up? And you're like, well, it's just one section down. So I climb down another section, find the trail, hike down, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse as I go. <laughs> so turns out I'm basically on a thousand foot sheer cliff which is interspersed with small sections of switchback trail and a lot of Via Ferrata. Uh. Parts of it, you're over 400 feet directly above the ground. I mean, if you slip and fall, you will die. And thankfully I was doing it at night by the, the light of a headlamp. <laughs> and so it's like I had, you know, roughly 30 feet in each direction to focus on. If yeah. I had been able to see the ground, I freak might you have been too scared to do it. And so um, I got down. It took me four hours to down climb about 1,000 feet. 
and it's like 1 2 o'clock in the morning when I get down and I'm a, I'm a really high adrenaline guy. I love adrenaline, probably an addiction. And I got down <laughs> and my adrenaline was exasperated. I was so whooped. I was like, I don't want to even feel adrenaline for probably a month. Like, <laughs> that was so on the edge of just my life and I yeah. so close to death. Um, and it, it does ignite you kind of in any way. And I'm not advising anybody to do that. <laughs> um, but for me personally, it, it lights me up and just like rock oh, climbing oh, in the middle of the dark yeah. doesn't sound like so it. you can't yeah. stay there that do. night. And then would you do, wake up in the morning, look up and be like, and Holy went, crap. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I climbed down that last night. <laughs> and that was when I was like, it's a good thing it wasn't daylight. I probably wouldn't have come down. Uh, it's crazy it's, how much you can do though. I, him and I were talking about that yesterday when we went hiking and when we were on that long hike and when you're just you got your head down you're just kind of like going through some section trying to get through it and then you look back and you're like oh five minutes ago it's way up there yeah, <laughs> or yeah. way down there or something and then on you'd be on the hike you're looking at the map and you look at a mountain that's like in the distance and you're like oh we have to go over that mountain or around that mountain or something it's it's yeah. it's kind of crazy to think of how much your body can do that your brain doesn't think you can do yeah it's phenomenal and you especially get that sense when you're climbing like bigger mountains and i haven't like i've only done 14 years are the biggest i've ever done mm. but some of them like Mount Whitney in Southern California, you're looking back on it and you're like, that thing is huge and it's way off in the distance. And like, I was up there earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I walked up there on my own two legs and back down again. And, yep. and it does bring you just a new sense of accomplishment and you're just amazed at what you can do. Yeah. And then again, it translates back over to life. And then you like look at starting a business and you're scared out of your mind you're like oh, what if this goes wrong but it's like again you're capable of so much more than you sort of imagine that you are yep so Every how time, do you sorry go ahead how do you think you could uh how do you think other people could implement those kinds of things into their life in order to basically improve their life you know how do you how do you think the average person should if let's say they're listening to this uh yeah. and they wanted to improve their life by doing things like what you've done and learn things about themselves like that. What do you think, what are some steps they should take? Man, that's, that's something that I'm still formulating <laughs> a lot of it, honestly, it's just like sort of these philosophies of life and or rules of life. And maybe I'll write a book one day. I don't know, but I've, <laughs> I've begun to kind of write out some of these ideas and develop them. When you do and, this, um, we'll get a lot of views. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> maybe we can help each other. Get yeah. there, you know, um, I think it's, it's a it's such a complex way of life, but it begins very simply, and I think it begins with just a development of of your mindset as a pursuit of growth. Like I want I want to grow as a person, and then putting into your life the things that orient that. And so, like disciplines don't come automatically. Mm -hmm. You you're not just automatically fit enough to go, you know, climb those mountains or strong enough to down climb a thousand foot via Verrata or have enough knowledge of topography and weather and backpacking to go backpack through the Dolomites. You know, so those things don't just occur. And so you can put into your life um, the, the building blocks and the phases of it. And so like for me, it's, it's been many, many years. It was starting the Boy Scouts and that's where I first started camping and backpacking and those skills built up. And then endurance racing, racing triathlons and obstacle racing built the mindset for me just the embrace of pain and learning how far i could push my body and and in that you know it's early mornings and it's nutrition and you're you're training and you're running long miles and and you you learn how your body reacts physiologically and so then you're building in that component and then um falling on your face a lot um, i was at 
a Liberty University commencement ceremony last year, and John Maxwell spoke, gave the commencement speech. Oh, really? He said, uh, success and failure can't, shouldn't ever be separated. Not only do they belong together, they need each other. Mm-hmm. And that really rung with me. I'm like, success and failure, not only do they belong together, they need each other. Like, you can't have success without failure, and you're not going to have failure if, unless you have a, you're really dumb and you just refuse to learn from <laughs> it, you're not going to have failure and then not subsequently have successes. Yep. And so there's been so many failures for me in my life. You know, it's like, like, you know, we talked about just earlier with engines blowing up in trucks and mowers and those are disheartening. You're getting kicked in the gut and you're just like, man, life is on me. And just coming back from that and realizing, yep. okay, you're not going to crash and burn. You can come back from this. And so the embrace of hardship is a big piece. Like embrace the suck. Life ain't easy. Yep. And the good lives definitely aren't easy. And so the best things in all of my life have always come after the hardest things. You know, that sunrise on Half Dome came after a cold early morning hike that was kind of miserable, you know, but it was a beautiful sunrise. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's this beginning to build a pattern in your life of pursuing hard things and pursuing growth. So like start listening to podcasts. Instead of throwing pop music on every time you get in the mm-hmm. car, put on a podcast. If you have trouble binge watching TV shows, cancel Netflix. And so it's, and I'm not saying these are all laws and everybody should live this way. Like those are just things that I've done in my life. I don't have any TV show subscriptions mm-hmm. because I don't even have a I'll TV. Use them. <laughs> the thing is, I'll yep. use them. I don't have the self control to like really limit myself on shows. I'll yep. get hooked into a show and I'll binge watch it. Well, I can't binge watch it if I don't have it. Yep. So what do I end up doing? I pick up a book. Yep. You know, it's like last year I read 26 books. That was the most books I'd ever read in a year. Really? And I watched no TV all year. You know, and so it's these it's these building blocks and it's a different way of life. And it's countercultural, man. You'll catch Absolutely. Flack. You'll catch flack for it. All your friends will tease you about it and be like, oh, you never want to have a good time or whatever. And and you sort of have to turn that off and, and have the future in mind. And so that's a really long roundabout answer to the question. But yeah, but look at the things you've, you've got to go do versus right. spending all your time sitting on the couch right. not accomplishing I, I anything. I really truly believe that almost anybody could do it. Yep. But it's you but you've got to embrace the discomfort. Mm-hmm. And it was dude, selling all my stuff and just going west was one of the scariest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a fool for a lot of it. I'm like I know the feeling. <laughs> I'm blowing all this money and I'm using this time as a young guy. I should be building a business and here I am climbing mountains. Yep. You know, but I, I truly believe I'll look back at it at an older age and I'll appreciate what I did. So is that how you take risk? Is you just look at your older self and you're like, what's this? What is my 85 year old self gonna think of me? Is that kind of how you make your decisions? Or? Oh, that's. Um, I'm not sure I've got that one formulated okay. all the way, especially when it comes to risk. Like I look back at some of the things that I've done on different mountains and I'm like, ah, that that was probably more risk. Than I <laughs> yeah, that was that was stupid. Not that one was stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't want to be stupid. Like I do yeah. want to push myself and take risk and do hard, scary things. I don't want to be dumb. And I think sometimes I edge on dumb. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's also part of getting older and, and sort of discovering yourself. It's like, well, and maybe one day it'll catch me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one day I'll fall off that cliff and that'll be the end. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but, well, yeah. as a as sort of closing question, we like to ask people, uh, the purpose that we have for this podcast really is like, me and Cody have basically found ourselves wondering how really successful people or people who are at a really good place in their life got there. And mm-hmm. so there's probably a lot of people who think that way. So that's why we try to interview people who are doing things like that and figure out what it is. And our goal is to get 
that information to other people without them having to talk to those people, you know? So how do you think we could do that job better? Oh, that's a great question. I would, I would say, and I'm, I'm not pointing myself as like, oh, I'm successful, but I mean, a lot of people would argue that a lot of people would hear things that you're saying that, man, I want to do that. And and that's great. I love that. (laughs) You know? So what I would say is point them towards other people that are doing it and then build out a system in your life to replicate what those people are doing. So it's like, look at somebody who is where you want to go, who's doing what you want to do and and model their life. And so just a few things like, what do most successful people do? They Mm -hmm. get up early. Most of them, they Mm -hmm. get up early. They go to bed early and they get up early. What do most successful people do? They're readers. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not that getting up early and becoming a reader is automatically going to make you successful. But those are some of the building blocks and stepping stones that are common of almost all truly successful people. Mm -hmm. And so building out and modeling your life like successful people. And it's amazing how many of those things become compounding themes. And so you read a book and then that book has an idea about how to become a more successful person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a financial idea or it's a podcast to listen to. And so then that stair steps into something. And then that's a connection to somebody who is successful locally, who you can be mentored by. And so, yeah, find people who are doing what you want to do or who are successful and model your life after mm-hmm. them. And then just pursue growth and it doesn't happen overnight. I totally agree. Like, I've got a bunch of books in there, you know, personal development books and all that stuff. And I may not get, I mean, I do get stuff from the books, but just like, I now have that connection with you. You also read personal development books. Yeah, and then it's yeah. just like, hey, I just connected with another successful person. Yeah. We're doing the same things now. We may use each other for something in the future, you know, on a on a project or something yep. like that. It's just kind of interesting. How. In the network, I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. It's so key. And honestly, especially as young guys, mm-hmm. dude, we run out of steam. We wear out. Mm-hmm. Like, you need encouragement, too. You don't want to just always be looking at people who are in their 50s and they're millionaires because that is so far away. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got to find some young guys who are doing what you guys are doing. And, and it's kind of a pat on the back sometimes. It's like, oh, man, I, I'm not where I wanted to be five years ago. But I'm, I'm doing okay, you know, and so I think we need encouragement. You need guys that will pick you up when you're down, and, and then when other guys are down, you're picking them up and encouraging them, and so find, find community. Well, and I think our generation of wannapreneurs, I guess that's how you want to say that. Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have, like, a different goal than what our, maybe our parents did. Things or like our parents, you know, yeah. work your whole life and then retire, and then you can go do that stuff. But I think our generation's like, I can I can work from home or I can work from wherever in the country going and traveling and doing whatever or I can like what I do I I bought all my money in houses and now I just live off rental income and now yeah. it's just like now I'm wealthy and free and to me that's like that's the life I want yep. versus yep. having this big business and hundreds of employees and I got to manage that all the time I'd much rather step it down a little bit have money and free time and I think that's kind of how our most of our generation wants to be versus yeah, it's, it our seems parents like and stuff like that. In the last twenty years or so, people have been, begun to realize like life is really short and it's not worth working your life away. Yeah, uh, it's more about finding and doing the things you want to do because most of us are not going to live nearly as long as we think we're going to. Yeah. it's just a, a a testament to the fact that we're life not going to live as long as you think you're going to. So enjoy it and do things that you want you know <laughs> and leave a legacy you know i think yeah. as young guys it's easy to be like yeah a legacy is something i do when i'm 50 i'm 60 mm-hmm. that's when i leave a legacy but it's like no well when if you die at 27 in a motorcycle accident people are going to remember stuff about you mm-hmm. you left the legacy whether or not you meant to because so i think even as young guys we can be intentional about that and 
and for me, like the the time freedom isn't just like right now. I'm in a little bit of a unique season. I'm basically goofing off. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, I'm mm-hmm. traveling around the country. I'm climbing mountains, and it's because I've gone back to filling a phase of my life I kind of skipped. But ultimately, what that freedom for me looks like is to to do what we're doing here. It's to work with younger people and inspire them and coach them and help them and like. I want everybody to win together. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not one of these guys that wants to win at the cost of somebody else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to win at their expense. I love to win, but I really love to help other people. Win. Yeah. And so with time and financial freedom, you're then opened up. You have opportunity and you have the capacity and time to, to help lift up all those around you. And I think you guys are doing something really incredible here with the platform via podcast where mm-hmm. you're able to reach a lot of people with ideas and thoughts and mindsets that maybe they wouldn't have heard otherwise, or maybe they just haven't heard from young people. It's again, it's easy to disconnect ourselves from guys that are 50 or 60 and they're saying all these great, wonderful, wise things. And it's like, yeah, but you don't get it. Like mm. life's hard. I'm 20. You know, <laughs> but hearing it from guys in their twenties or thirties that are embracing that mentality, it just makes it a little bit easier to swallow and digest. It's like, okay, well they're, they're in my station of life too. And they, they're still, they get it. And mm. I'm not saying that, that we're wise we're young dumb kids right but sometimes it's good to hear from other guys in the same well peer, i thought that's it everyone we've had on this podcast so far like we've had people that make 100 100 million dollars a year on this market yeah. like successful guy in yeah. most in most people's opinions these are very successful rich people right <laughs> and to them you're like he's like i don't know why you're having me on this podcast i don't feel like i'm a successful or whatever it's like yeah yeah, because you have a guy that makes a billion dollars yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting how most people never feel like they've made it, and that's yeah. just how they keep going. But like, I see you as a successful guy, you know, tr- going out and traveling the world and stuff. So that's kind of one of why I wanted to have you on here. Well, it's and, it's, uh, it's an honor. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, I feel so. like all we did was just chat the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what a podcast. Yeah, did. it's kind of right. it always starts off. You're like, eh, and then it just it smooths out. Yeah, so, it's like but, one of those you feel like you probably should have like talked about something structured or <laughs> more golden nuggets or whatever. It's like all we did was talk about hiking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah, that's all we need to be inspired with, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. yeah.